You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. I watch most championship game coverage all the way through to the interviews. Today I'll get home and I will watch every last shot of the Masters, all the way through Jim Nance's interviews in Butler Cabin. I heard an amen somewhere. I heard it back here somewhere. Um, I've noticed though over the years how the interview questions have changed. They've morphed over my time of watching championships. The the question that used to be asked is, how did you do it? How did you do it? Love that question. How did you do it? It's a tactical strategy performance question. How did you do it? But there along the way, the question that most often got asked first was, how do you feel? How do you feel? And that was a relatively easy question to answer because they were bawling or something, right? They had kept, they had kept all, of this, all of this pent up emotion and focus on whatever, uh, whatever the, the endeavor was and, and they'll come out, how do you feel? And it's just blubber of how do you feel? But then somewhere along the line, the most often question that comes now is where did you get the belief? Where did you get the belief? And I was really frustrated the first time I heard that question. Uh, Where did you get the belief? What does belief have to do with winning? This is strategy and performance and gut and grit. What does it have to do with winning? But then I realized belief has a lot to do with it. Where did you get the belief is kind of this deep winding road, walk in my shoes kind of question. It's how did you press through all the hard that was between you and your goal? How did you overcome the critics, the failures, the obstacles? What what kept you going and not quitting along the way? That's kind of the where did you get the belief question. At first I saw athletes fumble how to answer that. They somewhere landed around, I put in the work. Now they've kind of more prepped for it and it seems like the answers are, I put in the work and I believed in myself. Where do you get the belief is an important question to answer. It's truly a Genesis question and I want to help you answer that today. But not how do you get the belief to win a contest, But where do you get the belief to to live a life of significance? Where do you get the belief to believe that life can be more than what it appears it can be? What, What can give life meaning and purpose? How do I live a life that actually gives life and doesn't take life? Where do you get that kind of belief? Well, the answer is good news. Life changing belief doesn't come from somewhere inside of you. Life-changing belief comes from someone outside of you who gets inside of you and fills you forever. Now, why is that good news? Because 
Some people think that, well, you're just born with it. You're just born with that spirit or you're just born that you can win. You're just born with everything falling in place with you. And if you believe that, then you don't, be- and you don't think you have that, then that becomes the problem. Today we celebrate Easter. Easter being the biggest win in history. Satan thought he had killed Jesus, but that was just a path and a process, the cross was, to the resurrection. But make no mistake about this contest. This, this is not a Cinderella story. Jesus wasn't the 16 seed, right? This, this was how this was going to play out, and this was a smackdown. Jesus' resurrection, though, shocked everybody then, and it still kind of dumbfounds people today. Yet the resurrection is the heart of Christianity. It is the separator of all belief systems. Christianity isn't a moral system that monitors behavior. That might be a surprise to some of you. But Christianity is not a moral system that monitors behavior. It's a belief system that resurrects and empowers life now and it secures life for eternity. We baptize today. Here's Romans 6, Paul describing what that is. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Amen. Amen and amen. I I believe that. I believe that. I want you to believe that. But you might be like William Duncan Vanderveer, who was a Missouri congressman in the late 1800s. And on a particular speech on the floor, he said this. I come from a state that raises corn and cotton and cockleburs and Democrats. Cockleburrows are wet, uh, uh, weed, actually. He said, and frothy eloquence neither convinces nor satisfy, satisfies, me, satisfies me. I am from Missouri. You have got to show me. Show me. And this is where the moniker sticks on the back of every license plate from Missouri. Now, the rest of us who aren't from Missouri, we would say it this way. I believe it when I see it. I believe it when I see it. And so for some, this this step of faith in Christ, they see it as a blind leap. You may have heard the expression, you may have used the expression. It's a blind leap of faith. But Christianity and faith in Christ isn't blind, nor is it uninformed. Faith in Christ is a hearing, it is a seeing, and it is a understanding experience. And I want to demonstrate that today through the last interactions that Jesus had after the resurrection and before his ascension. Here's the first interaction with with the women. Luke 24 reads this way. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, 
the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you. So Jesus dies on a Friday. The next day, Saturday, um, was the Shabbat. It was the Jewish Sabbath. Um, Nothing was done. On Sunday at first light, some of the women followers of Jesus packed up spices and and other things in which to prepare Jesus' body for burial. Yet he was already buried, but apparently two men did that. (laughs) Inference, Inference received. And so at first light, they weren't going to do it during Shabbat. First light, they head to the tomb. No doubt their arms and their hands are filled with everything they could have got their hands on in order to honor and prepare this man who, at least up to this point, seemed to have changed everything. But their arms and hands weren't the only things full. Their hearts were full of grief. Their hearts were full of disappointment. They didn't know really what to do with that. When they arrive at the tomb, the stone has been rolled away. And again, in great fashion, there is conversation in some of the gospels that the women would, would have said, would, said, I'm not sure what we're gonna do about the stone when we get there. But like determined people that they were, they were gonna deal with that when they got there. Right, the two-ton stone rolling in front of the tomb, we'll take care of it when we get there. Like, <laughs> Right now, right now, we just got to get these spices there. This, this wasn't just a large rock rolled in front of the tomb. The Pharisees had heard Jesus say on the third day he would raise himself from the dead. Now, they had zero belief that Jesus was going to do that, but they thought that his disciples might come steal the body and perpetuate this myth of his resurrection. So they implore Pilate, they get a seal, okay, this, is the, this would be a seal that you break it at your own peril, a detachment of Roman soldiers to protect that the seal wouldn't be broken, that you couldn't get into the tomb, and yet earthquake happens at first light, probably at some time at an area that I don't know when earthquakes or earthquakes happen in that area, the seal breaks, the tomb rolls away, and that was enough for the soldiers to say, we, we're not staying here any longer, <laughs> all right? That is their first experience. The second, they get in there and they realize the grave is not empty for a couple things, right? There would have been the clothes that Jesus, the the cloth that Jesus was wrapped in was laying there, but no body. So it was empty in that regard that Jesus isn't there. And then there's these two men in gleaming clothes that's there greeting them. What a greeting, huh? Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here He is risen. And I'm telling you, there is such a modern connect with that phrase to me. Why do we look for life in dead places? And why, having experienced no life for those places, do we circle back to them thinking that something's going to be different this time that wasn't last time? 
Why do we look for life in dead places? I would say that dead places can point us to life, but the way it does it is to say, it ain't here. I'm not gonna tell you where it is, but I can tell you it's, it's, it's not here. The women weren't really looking for life at that tomb, were they? They weren't looking for life. They were looking to bury someone along with their own dreams of a different kind of life. Because as far as they understood it, all the promises that Christ had made, all the changes they had made in their life, when he died, they died. The crucifixion watching it must have been a guttural experience, right? I mean, do you, have, you watch those highlight reels when people are doing these stunts on bikes and roller skates and or, or roller skates, boy, how old am I? Um, <laughs> skateboards and, you know, and then they, they hit a rail or they kind of tumble down. Don't you feel that? Or am I the only one? Right, you, you, you feel it. Now imagine, imagine watching someone you know hang on a cross for six hours for three nails suspended between heaven and earth that you could hear it and you can see it and I would tell you for sure that it was felt. Listen, resurrections are hard to believe when you have heard, seen, or felt death. They're hard to believe. Yet resurrections are the best thing Jesus does. Jesus consistently transforms dead ending places into fresh beginning places, routinely. The tagline to the angel's resurrection announcement was, remember how he told you, which means that this resurrection news really wasn't new. It began with their hearing. Jesus told them that he was going to die. He told them they were going to he was going to resurrect. They didn't come up with this on their own. This news isn't self-generated. This wasn't their idea. It came from outside of them. This, the type of belief necessary to live a life of security and a life of significance through all the challenge and heartaches that every single one of us have to walk through. In order to do that, it has to start with something outside of us. Someone outside of us to come inside of us. The, def the, the defect in modern day belief starts with this idea that if, you, if you're strong enough, if you have enough talent, if you have enough breaks, if you get lucky enough, you work hard enough, then you can make things happen for you. And I'm all for self-starters. I'm all for... Um, high confidence people tackling and, and running forward. I, I'm all for it. I don't know if I'm one of those, but I can see it and I can appreciate it and sometimes I want to be that kind of person. But I will tell you this, no matter how self-confident, how much of a self-starter you are, how much of a go-getter you are, every single one of us will come to the end of ourself. And there's gonna be a lot of life left over that, uh, after that self. And then you're left with, if all of your belief was internal, what do you do when something external exceeds what you have inside? This is a challenge all of us have to, have to face. Belief in Christ is a belief in someone outside of ourselves and it's genuine, genesis, genesis moment begins when you hear, when you hear about Jesus. This is the gospel of Jesus. That Jesus is our savior. 
that he is the son of God born in the flesh who paid the penalty of our sin. And he crushed the power of Satan and he restored our personal connection with our creator. Jesus gave his life up for us. He raised his life up for us and he gives us a new life in him. That's the gospel. All belief starts with hearing the gospel. It is not a blind leap of faith. Interaction number two comes when two of the disciples, Luke places them seven miles outside of the city of Jerusalem, and they are going to town talking to one another about all this stuff that happened in Jerusalem. The crucifixion wasn't done in, in, um, in private. This was a big event. It was a big event for Passover, so it was a big event. This public execution, it was a big event. News like like the dude's not there in the tomb anymore. This is big news that's starting to trickle out. And these two guys, they are going at it. And they come across a stranger walking on this road. Now, they didn't do what we do. When we encounter a stranger on a road um, uh, or, or on our aisle at a Publix or whatever, we don't make eye contact. <laughs> you look the other way, mostly. This is a much more friendly culture than our Williamson County culture, I guess. And no phones to look at. And so they start interacting and talking with this guy saying, hey, have you, have you heard what's going on in Jerusalem? Like, do, do, you, do you know what went on? And they didn't recognize him because this is a resurrected, glorified body of Christ. They don't recognize him. And I love how Jesus strings them along because with all their excitement, have you seen, have you heard? He starts with what things? <laughs> Y'all worked up about something, but you're gonna have to tell me what you're worked up about. They said, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped, there is a key emotion there, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came out and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. They did not see Jesus. We hear Jesus, and then there's a seeing of Jesus. The phrase, we had hoped. Everyone had hoped. The women had hoped that their life would be different because of Jesus. The two disciples, Peter and John, the first one to the tomb, had hoped that their life would be different. These disciples had hoped that their life would be different, that all the promises that were made by Christ were true and that he was who he said he was. And they, they wanted all this to be true because with every new day they had spent with Jesus, something old and dead fell off of them and something fresh and new and living was birthed in them. I think, I think it had to happen so often that their heads were spinning. Like, what did he just say? How, have you ever heard anybody say that? What am I, what's going on here? Something old and dead would fall, and I'm telling you, it happens to us as well. That the longer we can hang around Jesus, the more dead stuff falls off and the more living stuff takes root. Later in, um, well, it's, it's fascinating to me 
that scripture talks about the blood of Christ paying the penalty of our sin. See, our, our sentence wasn't commuted. We didn't receive a pardon. There was, there was a penalty that had to be paid. Hebrews says that, that there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. And so it wasn't that our sentence was commuted. It was Jesus paid the penalty for that. There was a penalty involved. There, there, there was a sacrifice that needed to be made and he did it for us. I find it, I find it also fascinating that blood is one of the substances if you get on clothing is the most difficult to get out, right? When blood stains something, it's difficult to get that out. And yet, blood is the only thing that can cleanse the fabric of our lives. It's, it's the only thing that makes things white again. What Jesus had promised. So later in their interaction, so, so they, like, he decides to go another way, and they go, no, 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 you come with us. So, so he gets them, they come, they go, in, they go into a town, they eat dinner with him, and this is the back end of their experience. It says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So he would have gone through the prophets. He would have read from Isaiah. He probably would have talked about Isaiah 53. He would have pulled out some Psalms. These were things that they would have known. They would have studied. It was down deep in them. But what they didn't know is those things pointed to Jesus. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them. Okay, things are starting to happen because four days ago he shared Passover with them and he would have said the same thing. And so now, I mean, I think their brains are firing all over the place because they had, they've heard, they heard what he said about being raised from the dead. But now they're, they're seeing, they're seeing him. It says that then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and they disappeared from their sight. Figure that one out. There, um, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Belief in Jesus starts with hearing about Jesus, but it surges with seeing and feeling an encounter with Jesus. Most of the centuries of American church, we've tried to remove the emotion out of Christianity. Interesting enough, I believe it was Charles Wesley who'd written so many uh, hymns, said he wasn't worried about, he wasn't worried about the church becoming too emotional. He was in fact concerned that the church wasn't going to be emotional enough. We don't like talking about our feelings or, or we want something that's more concrete than our feelings. Um, well, I'll tell you this, I've, I've heard of Jesus and I've felt Jesus. And you don't have to take my word for feeling and encountering him. I could line up people from here to the road and back that would give you the same feeling. Now listen, they wouldn't share the same circumstance. We wouldn't share, we wouldn't share the same history. We wouldn't change the same moments and time that hit us. But we would share, we'd share this feeling that Weren't our hearts burning inside of us when we heard the truth and the life coming from his mouth, coming from his word? And, he, and, and this is when Jesus, there's a moment in time where we 
understand. It's a progression of feeling and seeing Jesus that where belief comes from. Here's the last interaction. Lastly, Jesus appears to all his disciples at one time later on that day. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, other gospel writers will add context to that to say that Jesus enters into this locked room. He says, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they, had, that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your mind? Important phrase. He says, look at my hands and my feet. It is myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. This wasn't a, 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 a ghost. It wasn't a, um, a vision. This was Jesus saying, hey, look, I, I'm real. I told you I would raise myself bodily. I'm real. Touch me. Feel me. In fact, I haven't eaten anything since the last time I saw you guys. Does anybody have any fish? He eats in front of me. I, I just find that, fact. what, how, why? It is this real face-to-face, I want to make sure this sticks. Encounters with Jesus, they're not drive-bys. He wants us to see and understand, and so he goes to this length. It ends with, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they can understand the scriptures. So it kind of leads me along this path that faith, belief isn't blind faith. It's something that we hear. He allows us to hear. It's something we can see, someone we can see. And then he opens our minds to understandings. Look, when he says, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Can I tell you that the most ardent followers of Christ still deal with doubt. I would contend that when doubts begin to rise on, is is this believable? Is he believable? What do I do with this? I contend that those doubts begin rising because you are starting to allow Jesus to seep into you. And here's, here's, how I, here's why I believe that. So the Spirit of God is, several times it's, it's, it's referenced as water. Water is dense. So when the denseness and the weight of Christ begins to seep into your life, your doubts about Christ and your doubts about your life do not carry the same weight or density as this water of the Spirit that starts to seep in. So no matter how little starts to seep in, those doubts start to bobble. Because now they've, they're buoyant under the density of the Spirit. And the more that you allow Jesus to seep inside of you, they start rising to the surface. Well, that's, that's a bad thing. No, that's a good thing. Because when they rise to the surface, then you can start identifying and dealing with those doubts and then Christ can take them and tick them off one at a time off the top of your life. Because listen, those doubts are consuming space that he wants to fill. 
Well, what the enemy wants us to do with doubts is to doubt ourselves, to doubt him, to feel this, to feel that. Listen, what he wants to do with them is irrelevant to what Christ can do with them. We all carry doubts. You're going to doubt some here. You're going to doubt something different here per se. But wow, look at it as Jesus is seeping in at such a level that he is identifying that this is a doubt that I'm carrying in my life that I didn't know necessarily I was carrying. Well, let's deal with that doubt. Let's look it in the eyes. Let's see what God's word says about this. Let's see what Christ says about this. Let's see how the Holy Spirit even makes me feel about this. And let's deal with those doubts because when we remove those doubts, there's more room for Christ. Belief starts with hearing. It surges with seeing and feeling. And when belief in Jesus fills us when he removes our doubts and our understanding. This is not blind faith. There is absolutely nothing that you and I can do to deserve or earn the price Jesus paid for our sin. As a progression to Christ, we don't even know that we're separated from him or a sinner. We don't, we don't even know this. It, 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 it only starts surfacing when you start hearing the gospel. And then many times this sense of regret and remorse might come on you. And yet what, what, what it's doing is that God is helping you feel what it's like to be separated from him. And in those moments though, he, he puts his hands out towards us and receives us. You can't earn or deserve a relationship with God through Christ, but you can receive it. That's a stumbling block for some folks. What do you mean I don't work for it? What am I, I can't earn it? I'm, I'm checking all the boxes. No, it's something you received. Two other people were crucified with Jesus that day. Um, we, don't have, we don't have any context, content on who these two people were, except there's, a, there's an understanding that, that they had committed crimes worthy of death and that kind of death at Rome, a crucifixion. Jesus hangs with them there these entire six hours. One of the thieves addressed Jesus in a manner that recognizes, I know at least what this guy has said, said about himself, and I know what people are saying about him. I say that because of how he uh, interacts with Jesus. He says, if, you're the, if you really are kind of who you say you are, then come down off that cross and save me too. Right? So, so there had to be some knowledge about who he claimed himself to be, although this man doesn't believe it, He's mocking, he's speaking out of pain and anger. And Jesus doesn't respond. Maybe he would have, maybe not. But the other thief speaks up. And it's very telling on what's going on behind him and in his mind with what he says. Hey, you and I deserve where we are. We broke the law. We knew this was the law. We are getting what we deserve. This man over here, what I know is he's innocent. He's innocent. We're not. If I can put it in this language, he's the, he's the savior, I'm the sinner. This is, this is he, doesn't, he doesn't have the language for it. There's no language for it. What he just knows is this is the end that he probably saw coming a long time ago. 
that, that at some point in time, he knew that he was going to get caught and this is the penalty and he was walking it anyway. And yet here comes this reprieve. He is, he is hanging next to the man who says he's the Messiah. He doesn't even have... My, my dad used to say it this way. Son, if you make your bed, you got to lie in it. So I think at some level, he's like, there's, there's no, there is no forgiveness for me. So he doesn't even ask for forgiveness. What he asks is not to be forgotten. Would you, would you remember me? How honest, how guttural of an experience to find yourself in total need of saving and you have no idea what to do with that or that anything could be done with that. And I can tell you that everybody who has come to Christ has been in that moment. No answers, no excuses come to the end of ourself. We find ourselves in a place where, what do we do now? Now that this realization has hit, what do I do with it? And this man only knows to say, don't forget me. And Jesus' response, today, you will be with me in paradise. Can you wrap your brain around entering heaven with Jesus? Can, can you wrap your brain around that ticket? They all three suffered the same six hours and the same suffering. Thief number one got dealt the same blow as Jesus did and same blow as death or thief number three. But when it was all said and done, when it was finished, when the price was paid to enter paradise, one paradise was lost. Belief, where does it come from? How do you get it? How do you keep it? It comes from outside of you, but it wants to live inside of you. And the longer you hang around Jesus, the more dead stuff falls off and the more living stuff breathes. And if you find yourself today in the place in need of a resurrection, it really is the best things that he does. There isn't, if he can, if, if a thief on the cross walks into heaven, you and I got a shot. Because it's the same, it's the same path. So in our response today, Listen, I know on, on, on a normal Sunday, when I say movement matters, some people tense up. Can't, can, you, can, you, can you receive the promise of Jesus from where you're sitting? Absolutely you can. But as I say around Gateway a lot, movement matters. And we wanna link our faith with you. And so in a moment, our response, if, if, if you wanna make a first kind of step of, of giving your life to Christ, or maybe like some of the folks that we baptized, it was like, you know what? I've kind of went my own way for a while. This thing has, this is, this is dying a little inside of me and I, I, want it, I want it resurrected. I want you to come to this side of the baptistry on response. So I can pray with you, others can pray with you and we'll, we'll know exactly 
what you're walking up to prayer for. On this side, is there something dead in your life that you need resurrected? I know it's Easter, but we all came in here dealing with the same stuff we dealt with last week and the week before, right? And if this is a day to celebrate resurrections, then how about, how about some celebration in your life of bringing something that needs resurrected in your life? You come on this side and we'll know exactly how to pray with you. As always, there's communion elements on the table to my left, communion table on my right. You can go and receive that communion, take it as a family, that's a great response, but we're all gonna stand and worship together and then I'm gonna pray, so let's stand. Lord, this is not new news. This is ancient news, but it is good news. You died for us. You resurrected for us and you will live inside of us on invitation. You will resurrect dead things on invitation. So Lord, in this movement, Lord, we are inviting you to resurrect We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. I invite you to move. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.